Futurized goes beneath the trends to track the underlying forces of disruption in technology, policy, business models, social dynamics, and the environment. I'm your host, Trun Arne Inheim, futurist and author. In episode 61 of the podcast, the topic is the emergent Arabian startup scene. Our guest is Gary Schenkman, a first-generation immigrant to the U.S. from Kiev, Ukraine, living in Dubai, who runs Leiden Ventures, advisory and investment firm working with family offices and government entities on early-stage technology ecosystem development. He is actively involved in running the VC practice of Ginkgo Investments, a prominent UAE family office, and was responsible for launching Techstars Dubai in partnership with Ginkgo. In this conversation, we talk about Arabian tech, the Arabian startup scene, accelerators and VC in the Middle East, digital transformation of Arabic private equity approaches, building a startup ecosystem from scratch, the Area 2071 initiative, and the Middle East of the future. A word from one of our key partners. The Ritosa Summit is the leading family office conference, the largest and most influential gathering of family wealth, representing U.S. $4.5 trillion and some 1,000 family offices. Throughout the year, summits are held in Monte Carlo, Monaco, Dubai, UAE, and Riyadh, Saudi Arabia, and with virtual keynote panels, keeping the community connected in between. Gary, it's so nice to have you here. It's a pleasure to be here. So I thought, you know, we'd start a little bit with you. You have an interesting background. You're originally from Ukraine, then you migrated to the U.S., I understand. Yes. And now you're here. Well, it's a big, a, a big slowly, slowly making it back. Or you could say, you know, it's um, I went from Kiev to Dubai via U.S. I took the longest possible detour. It's, <laughs> it's a long route. Yeah, it's my it's my second time here. Actually, I um, I moved here in two thousand eight, um, and I was here for about a year and a half, um, and then I moved through Europe back to the U.S. and then back here in two thousand fifteen. Hmm. So yeah, different place. It's changed a lot, you know, in in that gap that I uh, that I wasn't here. Yeah, but but what brought you really here? Like, what brought you into innovation and, and you know now in venture and, and doing all these exciting things? What is it about your background that kind of set you on this path of entrepreneurship and financing entrepreneurs? Uh, was there was that always something you were interested in, or, or did it happen by by accident? Uh, I mean, I I think looking back you can always build these stories of like oh yes you know careers happen with so much structure and this is exactly the steps that i took to get here but you know it's way closer to you know like kramer and seinfeld kind of falling backwards um through it and and you get to a you know to a place where you know now kind of seems to make sense but it was more accident than than anything um i think i had acute cubiculitis, um, you know, graduating from college, I was just had this fear of kind of joining a large, you know, company, whether it was going to be, you know, a bank or a consultancy or, or something like that. And I found a job in the marketing department of a company here on a f- online job board in you know 2008 that is pretty random um yeah and i'm like oh the only thing i knew about dubai was what i saw in vh1 celebrity vacations um or, or whatever it was uh and i'm like oh i guess I'll, I'll apply and i got it 
uh, and I just moved here to sight unseen. Uh, and the company was doing uh, video content management and streaming uh, for broadcasters. And so, you know, this was, you know, early days of, you know, flash video streaming, you know, that, that kind of stuff, pre, pre-Netflix. And yeah, spent some time with them, moved from here to Prague, um, left the company, uh, moved to New York, uh, was with Vice Media for a while, uh, and then made my way back here um, with an opportunity um, in the Abu Dhabi government um, to do some, again, video technology work. And then after that, you know, got into, you know, the other side of the table, uh, which was building acceleration programs, building incubators um, here in Dubai, uh, which was really fun. Uh, and now, you know, I'm kind of full on on the venture side. So on the capital deployment world. Well, I mean, the, what struck me is, uh, and, and, you know, pardon me if I'm if I'm wrong, but, you know, this area is somewhat new to entrepreneurship and you you kind of are among the earlier uh, entrance into this particular market, right? With with your uh, focus, and and there aren't that many VCs here that started out here and and are investing and, and getting involved in early venture and acceleration. Would that would you say? So we're the community here is very small. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I always joke that you know the first Dubai tweet up, uh, which is like the meetup all the Twitter users, which people were doing, uh, you know, was in two thousand eight. And there was like 30 of us at a bar. Is that uh, what's called Taco Tuesdays? Uh, so um, Taco Tuesdays is something that I do uh, now here. We call it Taco Stars. And so that that came out when we were running Tech Stars um, in, in Dubai. And we called it Taco Stars. And so we were bringing uh, just entrepreneurs together for some margaritas once a month. And, and you know that, that has really taken off over the past couple of years. But, you know, there are, you know, venture investors here. Um, there's, you know, half a dozen funds uh, yeah. and, you know, all of them are run usually by former entrepreneurs uh, and, you know, they're the ones that are investing in the ecosystem. There is, you know, there's, I'm kind of a weird, you know, scenario, I would say, um, just because there is a few of us that usually, I would say, invest capital from here in the U.S. while sitting here. And that's how we, you know, make money for other people. Mm-hmm. And then the work that we do here is about capacity building. So, you know, most of the capital that we deploy is in opportunities in developed markets, while most of the kind of hands-on work that we do is to build entrepreneurial capacity here. And that's just a, you know, result of, you know, my networks and, and you know, things that I know how to do well. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I don't think I would want to compete. You know, there's great you know, uh, investors here that, that focus on the region. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's new, man. You know, when you're, when you're, when you can name every single, you know, VC in town, when you can name every single founder in town, that means that, that you're not super connected. That means that the entire ecosystem is really, really new. Um, you know, we've had, you know, one unicorn exit, you know, in, in the region. And so like, this is, this stuff is pretty cool. Um, and it's fun because, Anyone who comes and, you know, does this work here, you can have a meaningful impact that you can see. Um, You know, it's not like you're chipping away against, you know, being like one of the founders in San Francisco or New York or London or, you know, these great cities. Um, You know, here you're making a real dent um, and it has that kind of, you know, medium sized fish in a puddle. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. 
So what what would you say right now is is the most exciting thing that is happening? Kind of just roundabout now, you're saying you know there, there there's a dozen dozen investors. Uh, how many founders are uh, showing up to these events? Like how many founders are actively uh, interacting? You know, as a as a community. Um, hundreds, but not thousands. Interesting. So you know, I would say. Just based on our, um, you know, let's say our margarita group. And so, and these are people that, you know, will will have kind of fun in a sombrero. Um, You know, let's say there's, you know, let's say 300 people, you know, in that kind of WhatsApp community. Uh, And that makes up most of the folks that um, go through accelerators, you know, here in in the UAE. And, And some of them are from, let's say, you know, Egypt or Lebanon, and they will come and travel through Dubai quite often. Um, you know, unfortunately, you know, not in, not in 2020 as, as often as we'd like to have them, uh, but but broadly um, for, mm-hmm. for events in town. And, you know, I think that's a meaningful chunk um, of, of everyone, but I would say, let's say there's, I don't know, a thousand founders um, in terms of early stage tech that wants acceleration or venture backing um, mm-hmm. in, in town. And, and, you know, when you look at that community, what are they innovating in? Is it a lot of sort of traditional sectors or are they starting increasingly to do across the, across the map innovation, like, you know, all the traditional things that startups do? Is it, you know, deep tech? Is it, or is it more on the consumer side, which you would kind of expect if you knew nothing, you'd say, you know, it's kind of brand, brand-based technologies and, or brand-based uh, e-commerce plays. What, what do you see the most? Great question. Um, you know, I generally speaking, and this is, you know, this happens everywhere in the world is that if someone is building something that ultimately gets consumed by a, you know, large international company, mm-hmm. they might start it here and then they will move to, you know, the Valley or they'll move to, um, to Europe or, or somewhere else, um, you know, for, for better or worse. A lot of entrepreneurs here are building things that, you know, make a you know meaningful difference for businesses here, mm-hmm. right? So if it's something, you know, in logistics, you know, typically they will start here and try to fix logistics problems here. If it's in fintech, um, you know, they will go and try to fix remittances or consumer banking. Uh, and then underneath that, you're like, great, someone wants to fix remittances and consumer banking, but we need banking APIs. And the banking infrastructure here is significantly different and more antiquated than what we have in developed markets. And so there's quite a bit of space for people to build technology to either catch up to some of the services that you know you get in some of the developed markets mm-hmm. or to leapfrog them um, and, make. And, and make something that's new and, and functions better. Mm-hmm. Um, in, in many ways, that's kind of the, the opportunity, you know, that, that you have here mm-hmm. and, you know, in business sectors, that's been, you know, in many ways that's slower here. Uh, but in the government sector, you know, government provides services here that are wildly more efficient and effective than things that we get in, in the Tell US. Tell me more about that. Cause I want to, I want to understand a little bit under the skin when it comes to kind of the, the disruptive forces that are either helping or hurting. Well, entrepreneurship and sort of futuristic oriented activity here. I mean, it's easy for, for an outsider like me to kind of assume things about government or about, uh, you know, kind of how traditional culture here is hurting or helping innovation. But 
from your perspective, government is actually uh, catalyzing a sort of force, both, both in Dubai and, and in other Emirates here? Or are you talking specifically about Dubai? So, I mean, Dubai is the, the one that's pushing the others in, in many way, um, but also they're the ones that are allowed to experiment, right? So they see like, let's have Dubai, you know, be the spear yeah. um, of, of this stuff. And, you know, in Abu Dhabi, typically we'll, we'll catch up um, and, and do things well, you know, I think for all the other Emirates, that's kind of a good, good way of thinking about it as the capital and as the, you know, kind of head of the federal government here. Um, you know, as what's wild here is, you know, people think, oh, great, you know, Middle Eastern monarchy, you know, what does the actual government look like? Um, and you'll be surprised or not to find that inside of the government, it looks significantly more like a company than it does like a traditional, you know, representative, uh, you know, democracy or, or a republic. So there are departments, there are department heads, um, because, you know, most of the fleet is, you know, of, of any utility or transportation is owned by the government itself. You know, most government regulators have a PNL. So if you're talking about, you know, the Road and Transit Authority, which regulates the roads and the traffic rules, they also own and operate the taxis. Uh, and, mm. and so, and for example, you know, same thing on the utility side, right? You know, we have, you know, the water and electricity authority, you know, yeah, but they're also, you know, they're the ones that are supplying, you know, the energy and water, um, and they're the utilities that I pay on a monthly basis. And so they tend to be very, you know, forward thinking because they're the ones providing consumer services. That's very interesting. But they're also, and, and you know, I'm really new at this, but uh, I have understood that, you know, these uh, various families that are uh, still in, in some ways, there's also a little bit of a distributed governance form, right? So they're, they're, the government kind of extends to, to a lot of the royal family that are actually kind of representing uh, also, apart from you, you said, you know, running various agencies, but isn't there also other ways that, uh, uh, in, in any case, I've not fully understood who is, you know, is it if you have a royal title, you then automatically are assumed to also be representing in some way, whether you have a formal role, you know, in a department to take care of, or, or you're just sort of like a free reign governmental member at large. How does this really work? Um, definitely no free reign at large folks. Um, you know, I think broadly there, there are a lot of, the families here are really big, right? Right. So you can have someone who is through a cousin or an uncle related to someone in the ruling family. But that doesn't make them a but government that, representative. That gives them a title, but that doesn't give them any representative power um, or an ability to to affect change. I think that's probably what a lot of foreigners misunderstand and perhaps misconstrue, uh, you know, w w when they loosely think about how, how the governance structure kind of works. Yeah. So there are, you know, there's the, you know, the royal families in each emirate. Sure. Um, there is the supreme consul of, of these royal families at the federal level. Mm -hmm. And then they appoint specific government representatives for functions. Mm -hmm. Now, between all of those people, they all have, you know, his or her royal highness um, in their title, mm -hmm. meaning that their kids, their cousins, it all passes down. 
Now, on top of that, um, you know, what you'll find in just about every country is that if you are an ambassador, you will get a Your Excellency title. So even if you're an American ambassador here or somewhere else, you automatically get you know, a Your Excellency title when you're formally addressed. Here, you get an Excellency title once you reach a certain position in government. So if you are controlling a significantly large department, it's kind of like getting knighted. And so getting an excellency title is something that you'll see, you know, quite often as well for, for senior people. Um, and, you know, you kind of get an idea of kind of where they are you know, in the pecking order, for, for example. What, what is your experience? So you've worked with some part of the government here. Mm -hmm. what, what particular part of the government were you uh, involved with? So I was very fortunate to work um, in the executive office uh, of the ruler of Dubai for a um, project we were setting up um, the space called Area 2071. Mm -hmm. And it's a facility um, that hosts accelerators um, and incubation programs. So, you know, Microsoft will set up shop there and they'll invite startups to, you know, do projects there. Um, you know, when we were operating our program in partnership with Techstars, um, you know, we got, you know, some free rent and we got an ability to go and interact with the government there. And yeah. they were very, you know, generous in providing us with a facility to host our entrepreneurs. Mm -hmm. um, and so that was, you know, the project that I've gotten to, to work with there. And yeah, you know, inside the stuff looks like, uh, you know, a company, right? You know, and it's no wonder, you know, you had a lot, you know, you know, the Baines, the McKinsey's, the Accenture's, et cetera, of the world had a big hand to play in setting up, um, you know, functions here. Mm -hmm. And so governments have RFPs and they have HR, HR departments and they have all of these very, very corporate functions. Um, and that makes them very efficient and effective at some things and makes them very corporate and large, you know, sometimes at others. So Area 2071 is interesting to me. And also, I guess, in extension, some of the other free zones. Mm -hmm. That's that's another issue that I'm trying to grasp. So the government sets up these economic zones. And you're telling me that there have specific rules that are simplified for innovation of specific types. So but I understand that that's not just for entrepreneurship. There's like a, a corporate tech zone mm -hmm. right out here, you know, at the beginning of the of the palm or right before. And, and then uh, the 2071, tell us a little bit more about how that was set up and how it actually works. Yeah, so the, the way, the best way to think about this is not on, is to kind of imagine it also on a timeline. Mm -hmm. So if you're, you know, it's the 90s, late 90s here, the you know early 2000s, the role of, you know, government is to try to create innovation and try to diversify the economy. And at the time you needed to be a citizen of the country to incorporate a business. And so, uh, you know, they're like, we need to have a method of attracting foreign companies to set up offices here. Uh, we need a way to attract entrepreneurs. We need a way to attract businesses. So how do we do this without, you know, changing the fundamental laws of the country? Right. Well, let's create these sector specific economic zones. Uh, and so they created, you know, media city, um, and then you have your, you know, news and downlink facilities, and you have the ability to have hundred percent foreign ownership and they set up internet city. And the idea is like, look, if, you know, Oracle or Google or Microsoft want to have a sales and a regional representative office, you know, 
it doesn't make a whole lot of sense for them to enter into a joint venture like a retail or a restaurant or a hotel group would um, because, you know, they can just fly people in. It just it doesn't make commercial sense. Mm -hmm. um, and there is not a whole lot of revenue to be shared if it's a representative office of Google because, you know, the revenue is, you know, the capital is spent and collected in the U.S., uh, right. And same thing, same thing for Oracle. Um, and there is no income tax or here. So, you know. What, it doesn't really make sense for, yeah. for for the local government, but they want these companies here. Sure. And so they've started creating these zones for companies in order to be able to to be set up here. Yeah. And over time, that grew um, mm -hmm. to provide other sectors, whether that's you know video and audio production, healthcare, and, and other and other places to attract foreign ownership and, and thus FDI. Mm. Um, and you know it got to a point where you know they. They wanted to have you know bigger commerce to start happening here and so that meant logistics and that meant banking but practically speaking an international law firm or a bank they can't really set up in a country that doesn't have either american or a uk common law jurisdiction right so how do they how do they go about solving that um, and this is you know some 15 years ago they created an enclave um, in dubai called dubai international financial center um, they appointed a governor of that enclave. It has its own arbitration court. It has its own, you know, proper judges that are there. They try cases. And, you know, for all intents and purposes, outside of any civil law cases, uh, which get directed to the local court system, everything business related, you know, you're basically in England um, in right. terms of that. And they will respect cases that, you know, get sent down from London to here and, and vice versa. Mm -hmm. And that allows you to, if you want to set up a bank or a fintech startup um, or an insurance company, you can go and do that here. And there's a regulator that, you know, functions, you know, much like they would in, in a different place. Mm -hmm. And so they keep pushing this envelope forward. And so now they have, um, you know, these Hub 71 in Abu Dhabi and Area 2071 here. And kind of the next phase is how do we attract, you know, startup founders how do we build a knowledge economy um in and how is that going to happen in in your view i mean now there was this big announcement with uh, with israel obviously the normalization of relations with israel israel being a very big startup hub uh, but also you know a lot of money in israel um which way is the talent money going to flow when it comes to israel uae and do you see that as kind of fundamental for the startup ecosystem here Look, this, or are there other countries that could be even more important? Look, this place, you have to always keep things in context. Um, the UAE is, you know, a wonderfully fun place to live, but it's small, uh, you know, in, ter in terms of total population. Uh, and it's, you know, been very fortunate to be resource rich. And so as long, you know, as long as there is, you know, natural resources in, in this part of the world, this part of the world broadly is going to be an exporter of capital um, because, you know, obviously you've, you know, you've, you've been here, you've seen, yeah. there's tons of infrastructure, yeah. you know, in the U S they're like, Oh man, I wish they fixed the roads. The roads are all fine here. Yes. And so what do you do with the capital? If you've invested, you know, a ton into already building your own infrastructure, but there's a surplus, you continue exporting abroad. Um, what, you know, what I think is going to be interesting for, you know, working with Israel is, you know, creating what I would call liquidity of talent. And mm -hmm. so make it very easy for people that, you know, are building companies here to access the engineering talent pool um, over there. You know, one of the things that's 
you know, tough here is that you know, there's no unemployment because if you're here, that means you have a residency visa and that can only come through you know, marriage or a corporate contract. Uh, and so, you know, as an entrepreneur, you know, if you can go and either create a LLC and that LLC can sponsor your own visa and that has costs built in. So you can just buy your own visa here um, indefinitely or you find a job. Um, and you have a company that sponsors you um, for that. But that also means that there are costs to create a company mm-hmm. that are higher and less so around you know, the regulatory component in terms of company registration and more so around hiring. Because if I'm a entrepreneur, I need to either fly someone in, build it elsewhere where they live, or I need to poach them from an existing company here, which means that I need to re-sponsor them um, and that's you know thousands of dollars well what about that. students i mean can you hire students you can but again, graduates i mean you know but there's not a lot of them yeah. uh, so again let's look at the population um you have some you know million or so locals and you know the government is doing great work investing in their in their education mm-hmm. um, but that's across all age groups right and then you look at you know, your white collar uh, knowledge worker professionals. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, most of us are 30s, 40s, 50s. Our kids aren't old enough to work. <laughs> That's right. And a lot of people, because it's an expatriate community, you know, people don't necessarily retire here. Um, they might, you know, go and retire back in their own home country. Or when their kids reach a certain age, sure, they put them through the private school system here, which is great. But, you know, they send them to a school in the U.S. or in the U.K. So, so there aren't that many kind of engineering talent uh, graduating every year here from, from various schools that you could actually build a pool of technical talent. Uh, no, it's, it's something that, you know, the government is keen to improve on. But if you just look at the pure demographics of the place, you know, there is, you know, how many parents are there here that, you know, would... At, at a certain age that would produce graduates and that number is just very small. <laughs> it's, it's not a, it's not a function of the education system. It's just a function of, of math. And Israel has been, you know, very smart about how they deal with their, you know, similar statistical problem okay. is that they use the national service as a way to educate. And that has only started happening here. Um, you know, I want to say like several years ago when it yeah. became mandatory right. um, to do to do service, but it's for locals. So again, this is your so your the talk- expats are not part of that. No, no, no. I mean, I'm I'm not. You know, they don't tell me to go and serve in the army here. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and yeah. I would probably not have the best the best effect in terms of attracting foreign yeah. talent. Yeah, yeah, sure. So give me some some tangible startups uh, and give me some examples of exciting startups that are that are functioning here, whether you're involved with them directly or you're just kind of watching their ascendance. G- give me a, just a couple of examples of, of things that have been homegrown here in the UAE over the last few years. Sure. So the easy ones to point to are the ones that serve the consumer economy here. Everyone has heard about Kareem. Um, everyone has heard about Soup, which was acquired by by Amazon here. Um, but there are tons of other companies that you know make kind of Dubai living easy. Yeah. Um, and it's your logistics and delivery startups that you know everything from grocery shopping to courier services. 
Uh, and are they are they truly fast? So if I wanted, uh, like I you know I broke some a cable here on my setup, how fast could I get that right now? Um, you're you're in the Waldorf on the Palm, so there's there's no convenience stores within like a 25 minute drive from you. Right. Um, but within like 30 minutes, you could probably get something. Oh really? So were... I could order it online, and they would yeah. show up by cab or by delivery system. Yeah. So you know the the one that actually was recently uh, recently acquired is like InstaShop is the the one that people love in this in this town, and it's a marketplace of all the convenience stores next to you uh, and you just pick the thing that you want and you know a guy gets on on a moped uh, and, and brings it over but you know when you think about like oh you know this is not too complicated it's great well it's routing it's order management oh, yeah. it's payment processing it's customer service there's you know an incredible amount of infrastructure to make that stuff work but also there are companies that are you know building really interesting infrastructure mm -hmm. um, you know, people love to talk, you know, I think kind of the darling of the startup community right now is this company called Dappy. Um, and they just went through Y Combinator and they're building something similar to Plaid in the US. Mm -hmm. They allow, um, they allow fintech startups to interact with uh, customer bank accounts. Mm -hmm. And so they are facilitating ACH transactions on behalf of, you know, banking users. Mm -hmm. um, in order to allow them to really access next generation services. Um, and those guys are international. You know, you can use your Chase account uh, as, as an American or you can use your, you know, for a Saudi Arabia bank account here. Um, and that's that's super exciting. Uh, and, you know, there's, you know, in every you know part of the world, you know, we're constantly interacting with technology. And a lot of the times, you know, behind the scenes, there's usually, you know, a local company that's building something. You know, if you're getting... Uh, you know, everything from, you know, repairs done in, in a hotel somewhere in, in Jumeirah or there is a, you know, security incidents in one of the ports or airports. There's a great company called Aero Labs um, that's actually doing the software behind the routing, incident reporting, service management uh, behind all of that. And these guys are integrated with, you know, wristwatches that have live streaming cameras so that, you know, these incidents are report are recorded and you have all of this data that's stored and, you know, they're building that infrastructure. So there's absolutely a, you know, really rich entrepreneurial community here. And but it's new. It's yeah. this stuff is brand new here, you know, on, on a scale of, you know, when we think about like the US or Europe where, you know, people have been building technology for a long time. Mm -hmm. But man, you know, the country's 50 years old. <laughs> That's right. Um, looking forward, what, what are you the most excited about when it comes to either, you know, locally here, Dubai, or, or as you're sort of seeing, you know, technology and other, uh, and, you know, innovators, you know, come in here and start changing things. What, what do you, what do you think is, is, you know, is the most exciting development that, that will happen here, you know, as kind of the years of this decade um, move about? Is it, uh, is it going to fundamentally change? I mean, this region arguably uh, is diversifying or, or, or eventually has to, right? Because it's a resource-rich economy based on a finite resource. Um, do you see that happening anytime soon? And, and it, it is this startup phenomenon a part of that or is that just a, a very small part of the picture compared to kind of the overall economy so far? Well, it's definitely a very small part of the picture. I mean, the yeah. petrochemical economy here is just so overwhelmingly massive um, and just here in, in the world, right? Yeah. And it's going to take a long time to transition. Um, and, 
you know, outside of the gas that powers our cars, man, it's, you know, it's plastics, it's airplanes, it's ships. It's, it's not just, you know, your basic transportation. Uh, right. You could, you can replace every car on the road with a Tesla here, which will probably happen here faster than anywhere else in the world. Uh, but it wouldn't change, you know, net petroleum product consumption all that much. Um, if that changes here, because again, you know, small place, but, mm. but big numbers. Um, I think what's fundamentally really fascinating about the region is that, you know, it's the youth. So this is a very, very young part of the world and, mm -hmm. and not just, you know, the United Arab Emirates specifically, you know, whether it's Saudi Arabia, whether it's Egypt, there is an overwhelming amount of young people. Mm -hmm. um, and you have this generational shift that's happening now where not only, um, you know, power is being passed down in terms of influence of who's ruling these places, um, but also wealth. You know, you have an incredible amount of, you know, wealth that's been concentrated by, you know, folks that, you know, started their businesses um, or created their countries uh, in the 70s. Um, and, you know, these people are now in their late 80s and, you know, they have, you know, growing and very large families. And so you have this massive generational shift in influence and power as you know the dads are, are retiring or you know, and are many away. of those is it true which i understood that many of those uh sons and daughters have gone to european or american colleges and, and are kind of coming back with some of those more liberal and innovative type ideas or at least liberal arts backgrounds where where they are inclined to do things slightly differently Absolutely. Um, and, you know, this is where I think the UAE is kind of slightly different from, from some of their neighbors. There was a very purposeful and concerted effort to, as soon as humanely possible when the country was created, to start sending students abroad yeah. and then offering them incredibly lucrative government positions in order to make sure that they actually come back. Um, and they don't right. stay and they don't stay in, in, in those countries. And so you have a, you know, you know, people that are U.S. or U.K. or European educated, um, you know, frequently with masters or, or doctorates um, that are in their you know, early 40s. You know, they're, they're very young that are inheriting, you know, very powerful levers um, of, of the economy um, or of the foreign policy here. Mm -hmm. And it's it's going to be really exciting to to see what's happening. Mm -hmm. You know, you have like this, you know, weird thing that happens. You're like, oh, like people in their 50s are like very pretty traditional here, but then you'll meet like someone in their 40s and they, country. you know, they love the Lakers because they went to UCLA and they are, you know, completely, you know, casual and American in, in the way that they yeah. interact. Yeah. Um, and it's it's great. It makes, you know, things work the way it does here. Yeah. Um, Could you, fun. I mean, is it possible to highlight some of the individuals who you think will be the new movers and shakers? I mean, there's there's seven Emirates. There's, like you said, a large set of families. I'll probably not do that. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I didn't mean individuals, <laughs> but if you, were, if you were sort of saying, is it is it generalized? So, I mean, most of these families do the same thing. They, they, they deploy this strategy. So it's it's kind of like, this is the the way that they all think about it. They they send their kids out, or their kids on their own. Really, just have uh, have, have ventured outside, and and it's kind of a it's a fairly widespread practice. So you know, you're you're sort of saying 
it's 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 a generational shift that will happen across this region, or is it particular to you said it's particular to UAE? Will is this process happening in Saudi Arabia and Qatar and other uh, you know GCC region countries also, or is it to a lesser degree than here? I think it's definitely a pretty UAE specific phenomenon. Yeah. Um, just because this this place was. You know, you know, all the Emirates, you know, used to be their own territories, right? And so, yeah. you know, this is a federal government that's made up of kind of small sheikhdoms, mm-hmm. uh, which is unique for for this region. And so they, you know, that doesn't really happen in Saudi Arabia or Qatar or Kuwait. Um, they all have their own, you know, implementations of government government bodies um, and and the way that they administer their their countries, and and also again, you know population and foreign policy, you know, matters in, in this situation. It's a whole lot easier to educate, you know, hundreds of thousands of people versus millions of people, mm-hmm. um, you know, when you have the resources to to do that. And so, you know, Saudi Arabia is a very, very, very large country. I mean, it's it's bigger than the rest of the GCC combined, yeah. um, you know, not only in territory, but but obviously in, in population, it's, it's, you know, it's absolutely huge. Uh, and so, you know, here, you know, what, 80 plus percent of the population, 85 is, is expatriate. Um, that's, you know, you know, single digit percentage in, in, in Saudi, right? It's, it's a different place. Uh, but also that's the market, right? As a consumer market, as a youth market, as a, you know, economy that is driven by purchases um, and not necessarily by tourism, uh, that is, you know, a very big place. But surely a lot of the plays that that do become the souks and the Kareems uh, of the next uh, 10 years, they they will have to, similar to those two companies, rely on not just Dubai uh, e-commerce, right? They have to rely on the region for for its consumer plays. So so to some extent, what's happening here lifts lifts the whole region into uh, some of those technologies and consumer patterns and consumption patterns that that we're used to. Isn't that the case? Or or is it very, very much isolated to here? No, you're you're correct there. Uh, so it's this is the place where it's easy to attract foreign talent uh, mm-hmm. and it's easy to create a corporate and legal infrastructure for any kind of business that you want to broadly do in the region. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so if you're you know starting in, let's say whether it's an e-commerce or logistics or really any kind of company, and let's say you want to actively sell into, into Saudi Arabia, um, you'll probably have an office um, and potentially investors here, uh, and then you'll have a subsidiary there that's fully licensed and, and operated in, in Saudi. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, this is just you know a great playground, um, you know, and, and people are able to iterate and build things, uh, and then they can go and really attack a, a different market uh, right. from here. Um, if, if you look at the foreign uh, entities that are succeeding here when it comes to innovation, uh, who, who are these venture capitalists that we spoke about earlier and who are the capital groups that typically invest in innovation who are starting to succeed here in Dubai with, with making startup investments? Are they the, the American kind of sequoias of the world? Are they kind of big banking groups with like Citibank, that kind of players? Or, who, who, what, what does the innovation community here constitute when it comes to sort of foreign capital and actors coming in? What, is, what does it look like? Foreign capital is actually, you know, it's it's tough for, in other words, say a fund manager here 
to raise capital outside of the region. Mm -hmm. A, because there's a perception that there is, you know, a ton of liquidity here um, and they they wouldn't uh, need to. And B, um, look, if I'm a U.S. endowment um, of of a college, I might have a preference for investing in the American innovation economy. And so I seek out those, those managers. Or, you know, if I'm not seeking to, you know, grow the region in some way, you know, let's let's be real. It's easier to, you know, get returns in more developed markets mm-hmm. um, if, if you're you know, good at your job. Uh, but what happens here is, you know, most of the uh, you know, investors here in the VCs, they're entrepreneurs themselves. Yeah. You know, they're you know, they're the ones that, you know, have sold you know, companies to, you know, the yahoos of the world or their, or they had traditional businesses and they had a liquidity event and they, you know, decided to work with the next generation of entrepreneurs. Uh, and, and those are the guys, um, and, and men and women, um, that are, you know, investing in, in founders today. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then in terms of where the capital comes from, you know, the, there are, you know, government owned or quasi, you know, quasi government entities here. Oh, sorry, I think I'm away from microphone That's for a fine. second. Yeah. Um, that, you know, that have an allocation towards, towards venture capital. Uh, and, you know, they will, you know, seed, uh, you know, these, these kinds of funds. Hmm. I mean, we don't have any growth stage funds in the region. We don't have any super late stage funds in the region. Right. You know, the larger ones, uh, you know, Beko and MVP, I mean, these are, you know, hundreds some million dollar funds that are focused on, you know, seed, series A, B. Um, so what then happens when when the, this generation startups start to grow and need, you know, series B and C funding? What happens? They either have to move out of the region or they really just will be bought up uh, or, or it won't succeed. Yeah, I mean, this is something that, you know, a lot of us here talk about, um, yeah. that this stuff just doesn't exist yet. Um, yeah. And it doesn't exist not because, you know, it's necessarily a bad investment. It's because not a whole lot of companies have grown to be that big yet. Well, exactly. So, <laughs> I mean, you're, you're sort of hoping that they it'll just emerge with the funds. Right. So, you know, we've had obviously several, you know, large companies here and you have everyone from NASPERS group to General Atlantic, um, you know, making, making investments uh, in, in the region. And I think enough FOMO will say, hey, there are now 10 Series B companies a year that, you know, merit a, you know, growth stage, later stage fund to be created. Um, and at that point in time, you know, capital will, you know, form around people that want to make those investments. Sure. But if you have, you know, a a truly great, you know, series B company once every few months, that's not enough of them to have a few people go out, try to raise a couple hundred million dollars and go and create an organization around that. Um, It's it's one of these like chicken and egg problems that need to mature over time. Mm. What's your advice to people who want to understand this region when it comes to innovation opportunities? Um, I guess either coming here or if they're just trying to look at it from afar and make strategic decisions as to whether their startup should come here, whether they should find ways to partner or indeed just want to track the region and sort of potentially then come here at the right time when whatever they're working on fits with 
with Dubai and, and and with this region? Where what are the best sources? I mean, you know, you have your social accounts and you write on Medium, and you know, so you're one of the influencers in the region. Who are some of the others, and what are some of the other institutions or websites or what have you that, that actually knows what's going on here? Yeah. So, well, first of all, come here. Uh, not during the summer; it's painfully, painfully hot. Yeah. Uh, but it's you know, from October to April, it's absolutely perfect here in, in terms of weather. You know, you're you're here, you're you're enjoying it, yeah. uh, and so you know, do come. Um, and you know, this place is. You know, more, you know, it's 2020, so I don't know how well this will age, uh, but, you know, we're mostly open um, as uh, as a city goes and, you know, interact with the startup community here. There are, again, demo days, there are happy hours, you know, this this stuff is here and, and it's for real and everyone is very welcoming because we, you know, we know that, you know, when people have good experiences coming coming to town, uh, you know, this stuff travels and, you know, selfishly, I want more smart, you know, young technology oriented people to be here, you yeah. know, it's, it makes the city more fun and vibrant. And so, you know, I encourage people to, to travel here. Uh, but yeah, we have our, you know, new sources. So we have, you know, Magnet and Wamda and several other websites. And, you know, I'm happy to kind of write down and share those with you so you can add them to the, to yeah. the show notes if, if you'd like. Um, there's a few great newsletters, um, you know, Russia's, uh, her newsletter and WhatsApp channel for, for news. And I'll, I'll share the links for, for all of this yeah. is you know, the number one news source for, for all startups. And so right. we have, you know, we have this, you know, actively reporting, uh, you know, group of, you know, journalists and technologists that, you know, keep us all aware of, of what's going on. Yeah. And the fun bit is that because, you know, it's all relatively small, you know, nothing really, you know, goes, goes unnoticed um, yeah. you know, we're, we're all up in each other's business in many ways well but it's an exciting stage of any startup ecosystem when when that's happening I mean this is partly what I'm covering around the world and I'm finding so many kind of formerly underdog uh, ecosystems that are finding their own voice uh, I'm just you know right uh, next couple of weeks I'm releasing some stuff from Southern California where a lot of stuff is happening right now and and the region has kind of self-organized and you know obviously the magnitude is starting to get very significant there they have achieved significant momentum but it wasn't always like that and I talked to some of the the people who, who were involved in that in the early days and, and the, the kinds of priorities they made and said we're going to band together for a while. We're, we're, we're going to create this stuff together. It's very interesting to see. Yeah, it's, you know, governments and uh, organizations, they're always saying, you know, how can we, um, you know, encourage entrepreneurship and do all this? But, you know, I, I think it's it comes down to just, you know, you can't force it and nor can you create conditions that will increase you know the natural order and so i'm like you know entrepreneurship is almost like a brain disease it just forces you to take incredible risks with yourself and work ridiculous hours and you know make this incredible investment of yourself physically and, and of time and and to lead and i think that in any part of the world you know, no country is more or less entrepreneurial. I think like there is like a per hundred people anywhere in the world, you know, people kind of have this, you know, desire to go and fix something um, and, and, and build something. And so the best we can do is to create an opportunity for them to be successful. And whether that's, 
you know, whether that's legal, whether that's financial, or whether that's to make sure that there is enough talent around these people to help them achieve that vision. Mm-hmm. And that's what ultimately venture capital is, right? It's providing, you know, the financial resources um, out of that stack that's needed. You know, you need the financing, you need the government, you need political stability, you need all of these things to work in order for businesses to be created, not just in technology, in, you know, in any business, you know, to open a, you know, whatever, taco restaurant, you know, you you need, you know, outside of people that love uh, Mexican food, uh, you also need political stability and a stable currency and payment processors. You need all of these things to, to actually exist in order to create, you know, any kind of business. Well, it's been fascinating to hear what you have to say. I, I have to say it's uh, it's interesting to see this ecosystem evolve. And uh, thank you for, for sharing. Yeah, um, it's a pleasure. I'll definitely plug in, you know, all of these uh, resources that you guided us to. And I I truly think that, you know, I'll definitely come back and, and, and explore more. Yeah, I would love to have you. Uh, you know, I think as, especially as the world starts to uh, resume out of out of 2020 yeah. uh, you know this place you know thrives on events right in, in many ways you know dubai specifically is you know it's an events town we have you know conferences and trade shows and concerts and so as that you know resumes we you know we hope to have you back um and you know we'll we'll go out for uh, for a margarita and uh, <laughs> so you think uh, final note you think we will emerge from 2020 and covid isn't going to be the end of i mean dubai is powered by like you said external input uh you know obviously they they have there's significant in you know internal economy uh resource pool but but there it is powered by travel yeah so there certainly must be a point where if this thing doesn't end in 2020 it's obviously spells trouble for all of us but but you you are confident that that you know the region can can rapidly pull uh you know pull the resources back and pull you know it can draw the crowds again for uh i think probably this is going to be one of the places that gets it done first just because you know that efficiency of of government for better or worse here yeah. means that great let's just make a decision Everyone's well, they made get, a decision already, right? They right? opened for tourism in July, I mm-hmm. believe it was, which was kind of unprecedented. And, you know, as we speak, France and Germany have locked down for the second time. Uh, yet Dubai opened for tourism in July, and I have seen no sign that they don't want to do it. Yet, I have to say, I mean, I wasn't really walking about much, but I, you know, on the plane and, you know, walking around town a little bit, I was pretty much the only tourist. Uh, and I'm not really a tourist, I guess, you know, but but there weren't that many people here on their own volition who who had kind of heeded that uh, opening and, and sort of had gone here. But you think that this will happen? It will come back? Right. I think, you know, broadly business is adjusting, right? So I think we'll see a lot less business travel. Yep. But, you know, you're just at the beginning of the tourist season here. So I, right. I think I think it will, as restrictions in other places loosen up right this will become a i think a default place for folks to travel because they've done such a good job implementing um whether it's social distancing or masks or that is actually astonishing and i was impressed you know i now live in the u.s and it's (laughs) not really a place where you know universal mandates are very well taken Uh, however here just from landing on the ground i observed it's a completely different situation well again remember this is a you know, different form of government here. And so when the government tells you to do something, you know, you have kind of two options, you can comply or leave. 
right. and so you know when you have 100% compliance in terms of social distancing, contact tracing, mask wearing, uh, it's you know it's not as scary. Uh, you know that, and you know we're very fortunate here to have you know a medicine system that you know functions, um, and you know healthcare here is you know both insurance is mandatory um, and it's not that expensive, yeah. uh, and so you have you know, coverage and, and the ability for everyone to get tested. This is the first country in the world that exceeded the number of tests versus population. So there's now been more tests conducted than live here, uh, which is which is nuts. Uh, and, you know, it might be a burden for, for some to go and get tested all the times, but, you know, you feel safe, you know, to go out in restaurants and kids are going to schools and, you know, people are taking meetings and, and have, have a comfort just because, everyone has just agreed that, hey, we're just gonna follow these guidelines and then it'll be fine. And it is fine as a result of that. <laughs> to be honest, it's been refreshing to be here because it is difficult now in many countries in the world and you know, our life has been very restricted. So for, for me personally, it has actually been a little bit of a relief even though I felt like it was a risk to travel and I'm not sure, you know, you, you can't predict what, what happens around this travel. So it's a risky week for, for me and for others who are here. But on the other hand, to go from a, very heavily affected region to a less affected region uh, has been a bit of a relief. So I, I do think you're, you're right about that. If they manage to, to keep it the way it is now, that it does spell, you know, of, of speaks of potential good, good times, uh, you know, Hopefully. if we can have good times <laughs> in, in 2021, let's, let's hope that things will be slightly different. Awesome. Well, it was fantastic talking to yes. you. Thank you so much. Thanks. You had just listened to episode 61 of the Futurized podcast with host Trunarne Unheim, futurist and author. The topic was the emergent Arabian startup scene. Our guest was Gary Shankman, who runs Leiden Ventures, an advisory and investment firm working with family offices and government entities in the UAE. In this conversation, we talked about Arabian tech, the Arabian startup scene, accelerators and VC in the Middle East, digital transformation of Arabic private equity approaches, building a startup ecosystem from scratch, the Area 2071 initiative, and the Middle East of the future. My takeaway is that the future of Arabian tech looks promising, although still nascent. The startup ecosystem in the Middle East will undoubtedly emerge strongly as traditional industries start to expire and a transition will occur. For now, the Middle East of the future is a vision, a reality in the hands of literally a handful of entrepreneurs in a small subset of cities across the region, most notably in Dubai. Don't count them out. Also, don't assume it will happen overnight. Thanks for listening. If you liked the show, subscribe at futurized.co or in your preferred podcast player and rate us with five stars. Futurized, preparing you to deal with disruption.